Did you ever look at someone and wonder, what is going on inside their head? What's up, Story Geeks? It's Justin, and on today's podcast, Cheryl Perlmutter, a Disney parks and film enthusiast, joins Daryl, Jay, and I as we dig deeper into Inside Out. This is episode three in our Disney series. Be sure to check out last week's episode. It was a nerd fight of the best Disney animated character. And then coming up next week, we're having another nerd fight, the best Disney live action remake. Don't miss out on future episodes or any upcoming series by subscribing for free on your preferred podcast provider. For articles written by Ashley Pauls and Anthony Holder, and to access all our premium content, including our aftercasts, visit thestorygeeks.com. On today's aftercast, we're going to talk about how we could make Inside Out better. Spoiler alert, it's hard to do. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. So let's do it. Let's dig deeper into Inside Out. All right, welcome Story Geeks. We're going to dive deeper into Inside Out. Um, I'm your host, Justin. We have Jay and Daryl here in studio. What's up, guys? Nothing much. Good to be in studio. Yeah. Feeling a lot of joy spending time with you guys. It's um, not all about joy, Justin. It I, is all about joy. I feel about. I feel some disgust, man. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, no, that's, not really. We'll, we'll get into this because that's kind of the... Emotion that joy elicits in the audience through parts of this movie. <laughs> That's but, true. Um, Spoilers. But we also have Cheryl Perlmutter joining us. And Cheryl, would you uh, just introduce yourself and tell people where they can find you? So, hi, I'm Cheryl. Um, I used to do this podcast called the Disney Film Project Podcast. You may remember it. We did a lot of years doing movies like this. Um, currently, um, on the go in Florida. I live um, locally to locally to Disney World. So I spend my time visiting Disney, doing trips in Disney. I'm also vegan, so I type post my menus and stuff I'm eating so people can follow what I'm eating. You can follow me at CherylP3 on Twitter or at Cheryl Pearl on Instagram or Cheryl Promoter on Facebook. And that's where you can find more about me, more about my life and more about what I do with my time. <laughs> Cool. Nice. That's awesome. Lots to look forward to there. And uh, everything I hear about that place is it elicits a lot of emotion. So I'd say oh. that's the perfect transition for Segway. jumping right into Inside Out. <laughs> um, and before we dig deeper into this, um, I'd just love to hear from you guys uh, what you think about this movie. Do you like Inside Out? And Cheryl, I'll, I'll throw that question to you first. What do you think about Inside Out? Initially, I was one of those people that did not like it. I was ready to leave halfway through this movie. Because <laughs> it was good, it was such such a it's such a bad such a poor way, but then it, it does you know get and you know change it. But for me, it took like more than once of viewing it to say, oh, now I see what's happening, and now I see the story, mm. and now I see why they had to do it this way to get me. It's kind of like the same way with Up. You know, it's one of those stories that you know you don't start up. You start down and then you work up. Mm. Yeah, That's up, up starts with a sucker punch and then <laughs> yeah, yeah and exactly. Just, uh, well, thanks, uh, Daryl. What do you think about Inside Out? That was confusing. You just pointed at Jay I and know. said my name. I oh. like to keep you guys on your toes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. I uh, I was a parent by the time this movie came out. 
It came out about two years after my first son was born. And um, so I've always sort of had the parent lens on this one. And watching it again today to prepare for this was super interesting because it's been quite a while since I watched it. You know, my son was two when it was born, and now he's six. And so he exhibits a whole lot more emotion and in a whole different set of ways. His control panel has gotten larger. He's, yeah, <laughs> I don't think he has a control panel. But um, <laughs> but uh, I, I, I genuinely believe that it helps me understand him better. Mm. Um, and now, you know, I have two sons now, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to do the same for my other little boy. But it's, it's funny that I say that because while I'm watching that, I'm like, wow, this gives me insight into my son, and I feel like I'm going to be such a better dad. But at the same time, he's sitting right next to me, and I'm shushing him and telling him to be quiet so I can watch <laughs> the movie. And so it's like, eh, I'm That's not there awesome. yet. I would say that I'm a little bit closer to Cheryl when I first saw it. Because when I heard who was going to direct it, Pete Docter, I believe, yep. directed it. Yes. And I heard about the concept of it. I was like, this sounds amazing. Like, I don't even know how you tackled this subject. And then the first time I watched it, I was a little overwhelmed with all of the different layers it was presenting to me at once, and I didn't quite get it. I was like, yeah, I get that there's layers here, but like they don't make any sense to me. Mm. And it wasn't until after my second watch that I started to really enjoy it and fall in love with it a lot more because I could actually start to see like, oh, that's metaphor for this and that's metaphor for this. And so then when I started to experience what they intended – which was, you know, the loss of memories and the loss of things that we held on to um, and had emotions about. And I realized, reflecting on it in my own life, how I had started to, to filter through some of those things and forget them, that that's when it started to become more powerful for me. So maybe because I'm a little slow on the uptake in terms of getting the metaphors <laughs> the first time around. But I will tell you that the second time around, uh, it was really a lot more powerful for me and I enjoyed it a lot more. Um, I, I was, I think the way I would categorize it is the first time I saw it, I thought it was going to go deeper and I didn't feel like it did the second time around. I was like, Oh no, it totally did. I just missed a lot of it the first time around. Mm. So, yeah. Um, I love this movie. Um, I, this is a movie for me that I feel like you are a better person for watching it and thinking about it. So I'm just excited to discuss it with you guys. Um, so, uh, let's start right at the beginning. Um, the very first line of the movie, I think, is the simple yet kind of incredible concept. And it's just Joy saying, do you ever look at someone and wonder what's going on inside their head? And then it just dives into a whole movie of getting to see <laughs> what's going on inside of Riley's head. Um, so, with that simple but, you know, pretty lofty premise, uh, how do you guys feel like this movie delivered on that uh daryl we'll start with you uh very well um <clears throat> i <laughs> this is a such a granular thing but <laughs> so all of the characters are emotions right right and i find it weird that emotions have emotions <laughs> like, <laughs> like that's a whole nother level inception Incep emotional inception yes <laughs> <laughs> but um i think it's fascinating i think the construct that they build for understanding memories and understanding these really impactful things in life like family island and what is it wacky island or silly island or yeah goofball island. goofball island yeah yeah and um and the imaginary friend 
and just it's a really fun cute way to look at what's inside somebody's head mm. i do think that if they were to make a sequel to this movie about riley as an adult it would probably have to be a horror film. (laughs) What? (laughs) Because as a child, everything is simpler, right? Like everything is more joyful. And then you grow up and you get hurt and you go through pain and you go through struggles and you mess up and you fail. And it's just got to look completely different as adult. I'm I'm just like, I don't know if I'd want to see that. (laughs) (laughs) That's very possible, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, we get glimpses inside of the heads of Riley's parents. And just as long as you were already talking about this, um, why do you guys think, and I'm just pausing the first question, yeah. asking a second question. Why do you think it is that the emotions at the control panels inside of Riley's parents' heads look more uniform, mm. look more like the individual, and are kind of working together? I don't know. Why, why do you think that is? Is that the direction that Riley's control panel is heading, Jay? Yeah, that's a really good insight. I've always taken that to to mean that Riley is still developing the primary emotional set that she will use in daily life. Her personality is not as set in stone as her parents are because she's now going through basically she's essentially going through puberty, right? She's at that age where she's she's developing a lot. And I think her parents are mature enough that They've learned to deal with the world. And I I think we see this around each other, too. Like, one of the things that I would point out about Justin, and if you listen to the show, you will have figured this out already. Like, Justin operates through joy. In fact, you you will find Justin on a bad day, and you'll still be like, Justin's bad days are the best days in most people's (laughs) lives. Um, And that's not because – it's not because he – uh, doesn't have bad days or doesn't experience other emotions, but what he presents to the world is more joyful. I, I, and I think that the people are like that. So I think that when you start to operate in specific ways and you train yourself in some ways to operate in those ways. Now, don't get me wrong. You can go through significant things in life that change that and that upset that balance. But it's not the quite the same as when you're when you are an emotional preteen slash teenager you're experiencing hormones you're learning how to deal with situations in the world and you may take on very different emotions depending on the day that it is Mm -hmm. i think it's a little a little bit different in that way cheryl uh with either of those two questions just um opening up uh the world of being inside someone's head or uh talking about why the different control panels and uh, headrooms look different with the different characters. Uh, what what do those ideas bring to mind for you? I thought it was interesting that like the anger emotion was controlling the dad, and the sad emotion was doing the mom. Yeah. And you wonder like how those emotions got that that got that he was elected chair and she was elected chair. <laughs> you know, it's like. How did they decide that upon the five of them? Was there a vote? You know, <laughs> um, did we did we have a fist fight somewhere? I mean, you know, um, did we did we actually think about running off with the with the Dominican guy <laughs> that keeps flashing back everybody? Yeah, and and it's interesting that the mom doesn't strike me as a particularly sad person, or the father as a particularly angry person. Um, so yeah, it, it's just 
it would be interesting to see this movie um, through their childhood or through any other number of uh, children growing up to see is Joy kind of the leader for everybody or is that unique to Riley, you know, and unique to like more or less one fifth of people um, or is that the default beginning spot? Um, yeah, there's a lot about this world that I wish we had a sequel or two or three to kind of see what the standards were, what the baseline was, what uh, what the variations inside the different heads would be. Um, yeah, uh, the thing that I think fascinates me most about Inside Out as a movie is, like you were saying, Pete Docter is the writer and director. Um, from some of the additional materials that came out with the movie, it is shared that he made this movie because his daughter went through a very similar thing mm. as what Riley went through. His daughter voiced Ellie in Up when she was young. Oh, no way. Like the little exuberant, crazy, I like you, you know, <laughs> yeah, little right, girl right. that climbs in through the window. And that was very much his daughter. But then she started to grow up and became a little more aloof and was rolling her eyes. And, and he asked that question, what is going on inside her head? <laughs> um, and so I just love that this movie in and of itself is um, the picture of a parent being engaged, uh, uh, a father being curious about his kid um, and leaning into that. Um, so uh, Cheryl, I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw this next question to you first. Um, after seeing this movie, I feel like it's hard for me to imagine um, any other combination of emotional characters. Like, you know, it's just, those are obviously what our five base emotions are and it totally makes sense. Um, but listening to some of the special features, they had a lot of discussion uh, ranging in how many emotions would be there, what the names of the emotions would be, uh, if joy would be called optimism, if there would be you know other emotions in Headroom. Um, so just if you were the writer or director of this movie, just kind of thinking about emotions and how you approach the mind and everything, uh, would you have changed anything in those uh, five main emotions. Would you have added any or taken any away, Cheryl? Well, the one thing I want to go back and say is I really think why he chose those emotions is because you want to start at the ages where it's easy. You don't want to have to start with, well, she's start, going to be 13. We don't want to have to deal with envy. Mm. Disgust can kind of handle our envy for us. Mm. We really don't have to like with her with fear. He took care of he took care of earthquakes, but we never really mentioned like death. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's not like we had a character. You know, so he kind of rolled in. He would roll in death. I have a figure if someone had passed away, he could have handled the death. You know, so I think they used the five, and they built built some into the five. Like especially, I could see with disgust. I can especially see it with anger because he wasn't just anger about like he was anger about little things, not just big things would anger him. Little things would anger him. Mm. And so, and so you could build upon the five and put everything and he and put everything into one box. Right. Because sadness wasn't only sadness. It would have also been melancholy and sorrow and whatever kind of range of that would have needed to be in that one character. 
It could have been depression. And we again, right. we're, we're a kids movie here. Right. We don't want to have to deal with depression and 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 like you know again what goes along with depression for kids. You mm. don't want to have to deal with that, so you just put it within sadness, and they get the idea. Yeah, I think we get close to depression in this movie when she like kind of is no longer affected by the emotions and all of that. It, yeah, it it gets pretty heavy for a kids movie, but yeah, thanks, uh, Daryl. Is there anything you would add or take away in that? head room i don't know I, i've definitely thought of some other ideas but i don't know if they would be if they would be anything new or if they would just be some combination of the ones that already exist like anxiety is something that came to mind mm. you know but anxiety is fear right right mm -hmm. yep so it's like i feel like it's a pretty good selection for five emotions to run everything on and I don't know if this is stepping on a question that you have later, so if it is, I apologize. <laughs> but <laughs> I also love that joy and sadness specifically are the ones that that go on the journey, mm. leaving the other three in the control room, mm -hmm. which is why everything goes wrong. Because, you know, I've dealt with anxiety even this week. And if I sit back and think about it, then the stuff that you feel when you're anxious is fear anger and some sort of frustration or disdain for what's going on around you which could be a version of disgust yeah. and it's absent of joy and it's i do think it's absent of sadness in a way because like this movie puts out there sadness in a positive way sort of reminds you of what you're missing mm. and sort of centers you and brings you back to something good mm. hopefully not always mm. but hopefully um so i think it's perfect that those are the two that aren't controlling riley when she goes through this mm. crisis mm. that's good so i have three to add before i add them i remember i was seeing oh a sorry can i yeah. say one more thing go, go, go for it. i do think if there's ever a sequel we should add a character named pride played by Dwayne the rock johnson <laughs> oh <laughs> Redoing re his role yeah. as yeah exactly yeah. as Maui, yeah I like it. <laughs> um, I was uh, quick story. I was seeing a therapist, and it was uh, after my mom had passed away. This is, so this was like seven years ago, and I was sitting across from him, and he kept asking me what I was feeling, and I'm not like super in touch with my feelings at all. So I kept telling him, and he always would go like, "No, that's what you're thinking. What are you feeling?" And mm. I keep going out, going out. And he kept saying, like, and he kept breaking down the emotion. Like, I'd say, like, I'm frustrated. Well, what's frustration? Right? Okay, well, then frustration. Oh, okay, it's anger. Right? So you can break it down. You really can break it down into these more base-level versions of whatever other emotions there are. There's more complexity and more words you can use to describe these options. But when you break that option down, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's emanating from anger. Or that's emanating from sadness. Or that's emanating from whatever. And I found that really fascinating. Um... I was kind of like, can you just give me a cheat sheet? <laughs> like, which ones do you want me to answer? Um, but I came up with three that I would add to the equation. Uh, I believe that the three missing, and I think this is a great five, so I'm not criticizing the movie per se. I just think that these are that these would be great to add in some way, shape, or form. Love, which does not appear at all. Um, and I think love 
you could break that down into some of the five anyways. Like you say, love has a versions of sadness and joy and th- things like that. But it is sort of an emotion that is experienced that I feel like it's hard to call anything else. Like you might have joy while experiencing love. You might have sadness while experiencing love. But it is of itself its own thing to me. And I feel like, enough. though, this movie is too insightful and too aware of itself to do something like limiting love to being an emotion. Oh, maybe so. Like, you know you, what I mean? You want to say that love is bigger than just an emotion? Yeah. Because I wonder if love was flavoring some of the um, personality islands with uh, yeah. friendship mm. and family. And yeah. honesty. And honesty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very possible. I just think that I think that we, I think love is more complex than we give it credit for, and that you a lot of people don't do love justice, Mm. right? I think you know when you're a kid and you watch Disney movies, you would say, well, love is that feeling I get when I see Sleeping Beauty or whatever, or or Prince Charming or whoever you're seeing. Oh, I feel butterflies. But then as you get older, you're like, oh, dude, love changes over time. It is a much more complex kind of scenario. Mm. So to your point, that may be fair. Yeah. The other two I have on there though, and I think. these do show up in the movie not so much as emotions but as like maybe perhaps a state of mind is maybe a better one and that's hope and despair Mm. but i feel like hope and despair govern a lot of the emotions that may be already at play so maybe those are even more baseline or root kind of feelings that you might have or Mm. emotions you might have yeah so those are the three that i would throw out there i was thinking about adding love for a long time because i i think um fear and love yeah. in a lot of ways yeah. are antithesis of each other. Absolutely. And to the extent that fear exists, love doesn't exist there and vice versa. Um, and so then despair and hope feel like those um, polar opposites of each other. That that yeah. sets up some really interesting dynamics. Um, yeah, I, I kind of shied away from love because I was kind of thinking that it's not only an emotion, it's expressed in other ways. But despair and hope or that's that's really interesting to me um because think about it this way too like if you have a root if you have the root of hope and you're experiencing sadness you can experience more joy in that sadness you can persevere you you can persevere but if you have the root of despair and you start to experience sadness you go off into a real dark place you know and i think we see that occur in the movie like when she starts to think about I need to escape this place. Right. That's because she's turned to despair. She hasn't turned to, well, I'm sad that I left, but I'm hopeful that this will turn around. Right. She's turned into, this is not going to turn around and I need to get out of here. Yeah. Did we not? Now you're making me think <laughs> Lion King. He does Because that. you're saying despair and hope. There we go. It's right in the lyrics of the other movie. Right. Right. <laughs> mm. Yeah. And a lot of Disney movies play with those with those emotions because they a lot of a lot of movies start out with a horrific death of yeah. someone and it's like usually of a parent uh, yeah exactly <laughs> usually a parent or or in in the case of up like we were talking about earlier it's the spouse right and so you have this immediate sense of despair yeah. and it's the character finding hope after that i think that is one of the interesting things for me about inside out because it doesn't start in some horrible situation it's a family moving totally and that brings with it sadness. It brings with it anger and fear and all the things that we see in the movie. But it's not as dire as the death of a loved one, as, um, yeah, the, the worst day of your life uh, in some uh, 
way that we've seen depicted in a lot of other Disney movies. It's but something couldn't it that be to a twelve-year-old? What was that? But couldn't it be to a twelve-year-old? Oh, absolutely. And I think that the move is very validating yeah. to the experience of so many people. But this was a movie that I think almost the entire audience could relate to immediately without having gone through a tragic death in the family. Totally. It's just I've gone through life transition. I, I can appreciate what Riley's going through. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really funny that there's kind of two movies, right? There's the, the movie ha- happening inside the mind space, and there's the movie happening outside in the real world. Um, the real world movie, as I was just kind of saying, is really straightforward. A family <laughs> moves, and it's hard on them. Um, and then the uh, story going on inside Riley's head I'd say is a little bit more like Lord of the Rings where they are traveling with a MacGuffin. They're traveling with the core memories back to uh, headquarters, um, visiting all kinds of crazy places. Um, So when you guys think about the structure of Riley's mind um, and the different places they visit, uh, long-term memory, um, dream studios, the subconscious. Um, I don't know. What stood out to you guys about those different rich places that they have kind of episodic things? Uh, Jay, I'm going to start with you this time. I'm oh, start throw with it you. over me. Um, well, can I, can I say, first of all, that uh, I actually think that the way that they handle the mind, and this is what I did not get the first time I watched it, is so artful mm. because one of the things that they're doing is they're saying – what if you couldn't if you were finding it almost impossible to access some of your emotions or what if like sadness does she starts affecting every single one of your memories and Mm. turning it from a joyful thing into a sad thing so the fact that that your your mind can be out of your control Mm. is not only very relevant to the human experience i think we would all agree that um when you are experiencing anxiety or depression or whatever, like it is sort of outside of your control in some regards. Now I'm not saying you can't do some things to help yourself out, but sometimes our mind is put in a place where it's really difficult. So then not only do we have that going on, but then we put those characters in a portion of the mind, which is Mm. then really fascinating to me. Um, I, I loved on, on my, on my second watch, especially I loved the dream studios because it was, I, we're, I'm in the process of, of storytelling. I, I'm in the marketplace of being a writer and wanting to tell stories. And the fact that the way that they did that in showcasing like a Hollywood studio that kind of runs things and like almost as like a propaganda thing inside your own mind. Like how, what's your identity and what is what is your own mind telling you it should be doing? It's like your mind is producing propaganda films. Mm. Did you wake up and think negatively about yourself? That's a propaganda film that your <laughs> mind produced. About to give you. you. About you to give you incorrect information information about you you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and so i think that that probably is my most fascinating and kind of really interesting one to to encounter and then i'll throw out uh another one is well the other two i would say is long-term memory and subconscious i think are really fascinating concepts and they handle them really well too yeah so daryl what do you think about the different locations that joy and sadness visited I think it's hilarious that they actually had a framework for how ab- abstract thought takes hold. Like, well, this is the first <laughs> the step. The four layers. This is the second step. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, that's true. That's weird. But I like that part. Yeah. Um, and you were talking about a horror film. Uh, I really like The Subconscious. 
and it just cracks me up like that they're just random things that we're afraid of like i mean i can remember as a kid being afraid of taking the trash out like so i I, like have this image burned into my mind of what the alleyway behind my house looked like yeah yeah, it's like nothing ever happened back there but it's like what could have happened back there like you know and it's just this archetypal Jeez, location now thanks for making it creepy yeah yeah it's like the furnace in home alone yes exactly like it goes down there yeah what is that thing? <laughs> exactly shut up <laughs> um but cheryl what what did you think about all the locations in riley's mind well first i liked how they didn't make it easy for mm. them like that bridge broke mm. and it was it was broken it was like we're not getting across that way mm. I also liked how they had to make the trek around the islands, how they had to find Bing Bong. And can I say, how could you not guys forget Frank Oz? (laughs) (laughs) Frank Oz was actually one of the guards arguing about the hats. No way. That's awesome. Yes. <laughs> that's great. So, um, that, so I like, so of course I, I liked how they, you know, it, uh, that's also a, like a Muppet thing. It's a Sesame. It's a, it's a thing where they go and they start arguing about something silly. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> and I like how they put that in because they're going to bring us to this really scary part, next. <laughs> but yeah. they made us laugh before we get to this really scary part. Hmm. Yeah, that's 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 awesome. Yeah, dude, the Frank Oz call out is fantastic. I didn't even realize that was a thing. That's a great pickup. Yeah, um, when I think they're going through Imagination Land, I saw a framed photo of Figment. Oh, did you really? In in a <laughs> pile of things, I'm like, oh, Fig- <laughs> Figment's being forgotten. It's interesting having uh, things like in a Disney park go away because there are memories associated with that and um we have emotions tied to experiences we've had with family and friends or even just the hope to visit that place uh and so uh, i feel like that resonates a lot with a lot of the themes in this movie Mm. that have a lot to do with growing up and uh leaving things behind and things changing and not being the same and kind of needing to uh, grieve that and move on. Um, Daryl, you already mentioned the uh, pit with the memories yeah. disappearing. And that is such a sad, sad image. But um, is just the case. Like, we don't remember everything from when we were two mm. or three or what we did yesterday if it didn't stand out you know it's um it's amazing how much we forget um there were uh the little mind workers um (laughs) just saying like ah delete all the piano lessons except for heart and soul and chopsticks or um just always sending back up the triple dent gum jingle (laughs) um (laughs) like the the things that they did in that story that just feel like they are exactly how life happens uh just crack me up um but just with that theme of growing up that's a theme that is explored in a lot of stories a lot of movies look at growing up and coming of age and things like that um cheryl i'll start with you on this one how do you feel like this movie handled that theme i think they handled it pretty well i mean 
they kind of start us off in imagination land where they say, oh, okay, here we're, we're taking down this, and then here's this big stack of pretend imagination boyfriends. <laughs> That's hilarious. I love and, that that guy says, I'm from Canada. <laughs> I die for Riley. Exactly. I think that's. I think that's a great way to bring in a, an aspect where a child might not. You know, like you're not even six year olds not gonna pick that up. But at least it's a way of bringing in like imaginary friend. You mm. know, it also teaches you in some way that yeah, things are not always. You know, everything's not always gonna be. You know, the same way we expect it to be. Mm. And I really thought that land was a bring, great way of bringing about that concept to us and a really easy way to bring up the concept. Yeah, imagination land uh, dates itself, right? It, like those things mm. that she's imagining as a four-year-old should not be the things that she's imagining as a nine-year-old. Mm. Um, so it's interesting to see that place um, kind of in its childhood glory and then being revamped with, the imaginary boyfriend and just having the stuffed animal things that she probably wouldn't spend much time thinking about anymore being torn down. But uh, it continues to have that melancholy, just change of seasons feeling all the way through the movie. Uh, Jay, how do you feel about the movie's handling of growing up and coming of age? I think they handle it really fascinating from a storytelling standpoint because this is essentially the hero's journey and yet most of it takes place inside someone's mind mm -hmm. um which by the way is sort of the external like uh physical embodiment of the hero's journey for most characters um if you look at the you know the star wars series and you look at luke's character journey and what he goes through he's constantly experiencing a bunch of these emotions and trying to get back to a place where he can Actually, in that case, I think it's actually like it's insightful that they've gone back and called it a new hope because he needs a new hope to be able to continue moving down the path he's going to move down. And if he goes down a path of despair, he ends up like his dad. He ends up like Vader. Mm. And this is all happening in someone's mind. And the mind is doing all the things that it's doing as Riley is experiencing these things in the real world. So from a hero's journey standpoint, uh, it's really fascinating. It's a totally different take on it. I don't think I've seen... I mean, besides The Matrix, it's probably one of the most creative ways of addressing storytelling that mm. I've seen in my lifetime. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, huge shout out to how intricate and interesting it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it handles it really well, too. I can, when I watch the scene with, like, the forgotten memories and stuff like that, and I can actually start to, like, recall images in my mind of my childhood that I wouldn't otherwise recall. Oh, wow. Mm. So, like, I can picture, like, my tub full of G.I. Joes or, <laughs> <laughs> or riding the red bike I got when I was five years old. And, you know, that's what it is like. I feel like I remember my childhood in a poor fashion. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I know less about my childhood than most people do. Really? I, I don't know, because I, I hear people telling me all about these vivid things they remember from being three years old and stuff like that. And I'm yeah. like... I don't remember any of that. <laughs> I remember yeah. little snips here and there, you know, yeah, but yeah, yeah. before about maybe six or seven, it's just like a blur. Yeah, and these totally. tiny little things here and there, but there are some images. And so it really started to relate to me personally. I'm like, I could, I could kind of picture what would be in those faded little spheres yeah. in the black pit, you yeah. know? Um, but I think there's another aspect of that, that 
I mean, they show so many things in this movie, so they can't cover everything, right? right. But yeah. I do think it would have been interesting to see what it would look like for a for quote-unquote forgotten memory to actually come back. Because mm. that happens too, right? Like, we think of things something that we haven't thought of in years. Yeah. And, like, what would that look like inside the mind? Would one of those little spheres, like, start to glow and float up to the, you know? Oh, that's a good point. I don't know. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or would it have just never left long-term memory? Like, because they had the yeah. long-term memory stuff that was kind of graying out. So maybe it's graying out, but then starts to glow. Or yeah. it starts to take on a different color yeah. in, in this season of life now as you're, as you're remembering it. Yeah. Um, I think the most powerful image for me of growing up uh, is Bing Bong's story arc. Mm. Um, oh, because Bing Bong. Bing Bong, as a character, if he had continued in Riley's life, in the same way that he had when he was when she was you know two three four um she would have been crazy right it would have been inappropriate for her to be interacting with an imaginary part cat part elephant part <laughs> dolphin part made whatever. out of <laughs> yeah, made yeah, out yeah. of cotton candy um <laughs> as an adult you voice, know so voiced by uh what's that dude's name i can't think of the guy that voices that character he's uh but he's hilarious anyway, sorry. Yeah, but like... <laughs> My long-term memory is failing. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect demonstration. Um, but for her to maintain that relationship in the same way today would have been inappropriate. So mm. as like sad it is, as it is in one sense that Bing Bong is being forgotten about, mm. like when you think about it from Riley's story, mm. it's good that he's being forgotten about. Mm. Um, and I think it's really powerful that he doesn't only disappear but that his disappearance serves a purpose like he's uh, helping to yeah. rescue riley like he sacrifices death. himself yeah. for riley that's a really powerful moment that i didn't pick up on the first time because oh. again i'm thinking like what's going on here but yeah. then you watch it again and you watch how all of that leads, that leads up to that that's a really powerful moment for that reason it is yeah also i want to bring in an aspect that uh, one of my friends uses. So um, my friends have I my 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 husband's best friend invited us this year for Passover dinner. When the girl is autistic, so she uses the concept of these post elves, and now she's using fairies because she loves Tinkerbell and she got to meet Tinkerbell for her birthday. Mm. Um, so now, but she's using these concepts as a way of like communication within her like so so she needs something done by her mother she actually doesn't you know go ask her mother she asks this this postal elf to do it for her and the same thing becomes the fairies when she met tinkerbell tinkerbell ex ex explains that if you build this house Fairies will come, and this is the way I want you to design my room. <laughs> and <laughs> and it, but it gives you the concept of explaining things that are not explainable to everybody, mm. as well. Because again, we're talking with people who you know again have you know autism and stuff like that, where they're not you know they're somewhere on the spectrum, but they need some help in the way of communicating. And so this is the way that my friend has decided to use communicating, which I think is brilliant. Yeah, I actually, I like that. Like the fact that we could use fantasy to help people 
define their reality. It will give you this creativity to think about problem solving in completely different ways. I think that's really fascinating. Daryl, you brought up earlier watching this movie through the lens of being a parent. Mm -hmm. Thinking uh, both kind of of the parents of Riley and then just kind of uh, through the mindset of not necessarily only being a parent, but just of caring for little kids, caring, you know, kind of shepherding young souls. Um, Kind of a double question here. How do you guys feel Riley's parents performed as parents in this movie? Um, I feel like they had some high moments and some low moments. So I just kind of <laughs> want to hear uh, how you feel the parents performed. And then also thinking in a parental way, do you think this movie is helpful in a conversation with children about their emotions? Uh, so Cheryl, I'll, I'll start with you. Uh, kind of the double question: How are Riley's parents, and and do you think this movie is good as a parental tool? Well, I definitely think Riley's parents miss some stuff, especially in the beginning, where they, you know, where she loses her stuff and it's delayed, and like there's no, t- there's no like let's rent furniture solution. <laughs> I didn't like that aspect of leaving the leaving the, the parents not like coming up with some type of intermediate way of pleasing the child. Um, and also with like the father, again, he's doing a startup. I get that. You know, it takes a lot of time and thing, but maybe that should have been explained to her. And I think she might have got it had we had that slight discussion mm. um but then the movie would have changed so there we go <laughs> um is it helpful to show children this movie i think they have to be a little bit older to see this movie to understand the concepts um i would say probably seven to ten maybe maybe you may maybe you know it depends what they're going through i like i know someone right now who's going through, her daughter is going through a hard time right now. And I, I might recommend that she might watch this movie again. It might help her, mm. help her with her, her daughter and her emotions. Yeah. Um, you know, because again, it's something that where I, again, you watch it and you see things from a different lens every time you'd see a movie or you catch something you didn't catch before, or there's a message here you said, you, you, you see it again. Or there's a new message. I mean, this every time I felt you watch a movie, there's always something new that you don't get, that you get out of something. It does strike me that the way that the parents are acting, they don't understand what Riley's experience is. And that, to me, speaks about the truth of the way that we all interact with other people and the way that we say things, not knowing where people are coming from, not knowing where they're at today. Right. I mean, how many friends have you had that you didn't know they were at, they were in a pretty bad emotional space. And then you, and you said something that was hurtful that you didn't intend to be hurtful. Right. And you weren't, it wasn't like you were going out to try and make fun of them or like put them down or any of those things, but you just didn't realize that 
I said, I, I mean, I do this all the time with my wife, right? If you're married, you do this all the time. You're like, oh, I said, I said, I made a joke, and she looked at me, and I'm like, oh, I'm like instantly like, oh, that was a bad <laughs> not joke. Not a good joke. Not a good joke. <laughs> not a good joke. <laughs> let me, let me reverse time, <laughs> take those words out of my mouth. Um, so I think that this is a very common experience that that we have is that we don't know, like when the when the when the dad is triggered when they're sitting at the table, the dad gets triggered. And it's basically like, I'm going to go straight into anger zone, right? Yeah. And you see the emotions playing off in his head. Um, I think that he doesn't realize where Riley's at. If he did w realize where Riley was at, he would realize that his technique is not going to be effective whatsoever. But he doesn't have the concept because he's not invested enough there. And I think that Cheryl's point about him being in a, in a startup and just probably not having a lot of emotional energy himself right. is probably right, right on. Um, I do think that with the strongest thing that, first of all, the human brain is wired for storytelling. So most stories are instrumental to our understanding of the world. We were joking around before the podcast started, just the three of us in this room, about the Meg not being <laughs> the case when it comes to understanding the world better. Uh, the Meg uh, does not help you understand the world better. I think, though, that this movie can help us have a shared uh, understanding of terms and not just with kids, but with I mean, I I can tell you that as a person who uh, was not raised in a way where I became highly aware of my emotions and what I was feeling, this movie gives me the, some more tools. Mm -hmm. It gives me some more tools to say like, oh, OK, that's actually I can see on screen that this is happening in this person's life and that that emotion in their head is activated. Oh, now I can say the same thing because I'm realizing that that's what's going on in my own being. And so I think that whether it's with kids or whether it's with other people around us, if we take a moment and go like, oh, yeah, what is going on inside that person's head that might bring them to the table in this way? Yeah. Um, I think it can be really, really valuable. So I would say, yeah, I don't have kids. So I don't know that, like Cheryl <laughs> said, it might not be like that might not be the best if they're four or three but like you know as you're starting to have conversations you can point to these things yeah Go going back to pete doctor mm. the parent that made this movie right i feel like he exemplified i already mentioned it just curiosity and i think curiosity is one of the fastest ways you can love people just by being curious like you were saying what's going on inside their head mm. asking questions and i think that's the biggest way that Riley's parents missed out at the beginning of the movie. They were kind of telling her things like, hey, can you just keep smiling? That would be really helpful. You know, can you just be our happy girl? Um, uh, instead of like, this is weird. How are you? <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, just missing that opportunity early on. But then when Riley asks for help, when Riley presents them with an overt opportunity to care they dive right in yeah. so yeah. you know imperfect but like really good parents and and um i think yeah this this movie has a lot of potential to make like shared vocabulary mm. or just uh at the very least start conversation like this about like you know what what is going on inside people I is this how it works is this how it feels for you yeah um I, I think it's, at the very least, a great jumping off point. Well, what it is for parents is a mirror. Because, at least in my experience, 
the portrayal of parenthood in this movie is wonderfully and painfully accurate. (laughs) 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 Because you see, you know, the parents are dealing with their own stuff. There's a move. Um, Cheryl, like you mentioned, the dad works for a startup. He's trying to get that going. There's all this other stuff going on, which is always the case, right? Like Mm. when you're raising kids, you're not just raising kids. You're also trying to navigate your own life. Right. And you run the whole gamut of, you know, this child is somebody that I love and that I want to invest in and that I want to learn about. But you also come to this other side where you're like, I'm trying to figure out this other thing right now. So this child is an inconvenience Mm. and that's harsh, but we feel that way. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just the reality of balancing and shouldering those responsibilities. It's hard because, you know, like I said, you do run the gamut of those emotions and so there's been so many times when I've been working on something or my boys are fighting Mm. or something and I send them to their room and I'm like, I'm trying to focus on this other thing. Mm. Like you go think about what you did, you know? And then five seconds later, you're like, Oh my gosh, I love my son so much more than I love this thing. Why did I do that? Mm. And it's just this constant failing Mm. and hopefully learning and getting better at it. And um, my greatest hope as a parent is that I never think I'm a good parent (laughs) (laughs) so that I'm always trying to get better. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Because Mm. there's just, I love my children Mm. more than I can tell you yet I fail them mm. and I hurt them. Mm. And I feel like you see that in this movie. Mm. Yeah. That's you what do. I was going to Definitely. say. Yeah. Like the, not only in the relationships that are painted, I think pretty realistically, I mean, realistically and idealistically, cause it's mm. like a great family. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but with failings. Yeah. Um, but there's so much tension between the different emotions that take over the control panel at different times. And so, uh, let's just talk a little bit about the relationship between joy and sadness. Cause like you were saying earlier, they're the ones that get paired up to go on this journey. Um, it's so fascinating. I did spoil that question. Sorry. What was that? No, I you're good. Spoil that question. Uh, like it's fascinating to me that <laughs> as they developed the movie, there was a time that joy and fear went on the uh, journey together. And I think that kind of gets, would have been a movie closer to maybe the relationship between love and fear. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but joy and sadness go on this relation, uh, on this adventure together, um, and kind of come to see themselves not as polar opposites, but as necessary for each other. Um, and it's just such a fascinating arc because you see like clinical psychological things happening, like joy holds sadness back from the control panel at one point, And that is arguably repression mm. of emotions. Mm. Um, and she draws a circle um, and says, you know, this is the circle of sadness. All the sadness gets to stay in here. And, you know, how many times have we heard about people compartmentalizing their emotions or, or their experiences? Um, so why I do just, you keep pointing at me, Justin? What was that? What? So why do you keep pointing at me? I'm staring at you. That's right. Um, I'm just so, uh, Because you're a robot. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly. Um, so I just kind of want to open it up. Uh, I don't know, just to reflect on uh, the yeah the the relationship between joy and sadness in this movie, but then also like kind of just in life. So Jay, what what, mm. what did you think about the way that Inside Out portrays the relationship between joy and sadness? 
Well, and even before I go there, one of the things I would I would think I think this is really fascinating because joy and sadness are out affecting her emotional state, but not front and center in controlling her emotional state. Look at who's left: disgust, anger, and um, fear, and fear. And when you see her interacting with the world, that's the three primary emotions she's using to interact with the world. Right. So as 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 joy and sadness have retreated, um, that's an even that's an all and also a fascinating relationship. It's what if you only had those three emotions controlling what you're doing? I think with joy and sadness, um, the thing that I think is really cool about it is as they discover one another's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Because it, it would. We would assume, as we step into the theater and the movie starts, we would assume that it's not two characters with set, a set of strengths and weaknesses. We would assume that it is one strength and one weakness in, embodied in two characters. Right. We would say, oh, well, sadness is clearly the weakness, the weaker thing, and then joy is the stronger thing, and we hope that joy wins. We hope that sadness stays in the damn circle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, oh, I said I wasn't going to cuss on this show for so kids could listen. I apologize. Uh, so we <laughs> put in a language button there. Um, so People think the language was way worse. <laughs> it's probably true. It's probably true. I can think of five things to say to you right now that would be way worse than what you just said. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, anyways. So, so uh, but what we learn, what we learn and what, what Joy learns about sadness is that sadness is not only a powerful emotion that can be shared with joy and they can gain connection by having sadness that actually is mixed with joy and these com more complex emotions that are two emotional states working together to create to form around a memory um, that makes it even more powerful and will make it even more stabilized in someone's brain. Mm. I mean, that's magnificent storytelling to to come to terms with how our minds might actually deal with these things and to see sadness as as more than uh more not only more than a weakness but as a super strength that our brains have is uh pretty remarkable mm. because a lot of us i think go through life just trying to repress emotions all the time right yeah. Um, I'd, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you I had a Disney pass so that I could get to get to some joy faster, right? <laughs> uh, so, yeah. No, I think it's great. It's a great combo, and it works out in a really fantastic way. Yeah. Daryl, is there anything that came yeah. to your mind? The scene that comes to my mind and the scene that I definitely uh, lost some moisture out of my eyes to earlier today <laughs> <laughs> was um, the scene when Riley is on the bus and she's about to run away and then Joy and Sadness finally make it back into the control room mm. and um, Joy lets Sadness go ahead oh, yeah. and impact Riley and I just, it's so affecting to see I mean, it's animation, for crying out loud. It's not even a human person performing this. Yeah. And the expression that changes on Riley's face when she starts to experience that sadness mm. and she realizes, oh, my gosh, I don't want to do this. Mm. I need to get off. I need to get off the bus, you know, and, mm. and she goes home. And to finally see the positive impact that sadness can have can make you realize what you've lost and how valuable it is to you yeah. and why you want to hold on to certain things. And then when Joy finally steps back into it mm. and the two start to intermingle mm. and Riley, she's still crying. She's mm. still sad, but now she's got her head 
you know, into her parents' arms and you see that slight bit of comfort and contentment mm-hmm. come over her face. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't know how you can watch that and not cry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Mm. Cheryl, uh, what comes to your mind with that pairing and that journey? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is the jealousy. that Because it's weird that sadness is the first one that pops up after joy. Because it, then it makes... Then it makes joy more jealous of sadness, I think. You know, because here's this other person. She was controlling this for so long. We don't really know how long it was. But, I mean, you know what I'm saying? And then this new person comes in. It's like, well, wait, who are you? Why are you suddenly driving this train? The other thing is that they're also necessary for each other. Someone reflected to me a while ago that your extent to be able to experience sadness um also gives you a greater capacity to experience joy Mm. and so i wonder if just even in those stories Mm. those families have experienced great sadness um and if they've walked through that in a real genuine honest way that that would allow them to also feel greater joy um and uh that's kind of leading into my last question. I have a couple more questions that I'm saving for the aftercast. So uh, something to look forward to. But um, for me, what I take away from this movie, what I walk away thinking about is just that it values transparency um, and honesty and relationships, Hmm. Um, being known, being loved, being accepted, Um, being seen uh, in reality for who you are Uh, whether it's a weak place or a strong place um, just being you in relationships and I just think that's such a wonderfully simple thing to celebrate and a really hard thing to make a movie about because going back to what you were saying Daryl about that the climax of the movie is a little girl sort of smiling. Right. A- mm-hmm. And and it's an incredibly impactful moment. And mm-hmm. it, again, I, I feel like this is a movie that you're a better person after watching it. Mm. But it's such a simple thing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so I walk away just wanting to be a more transparent, curious uh, open, honest person and be in real relationship with the people that I'm around. Mm. Um, I'm curious what you guys feel like is the takeaway or what you walk away uh, thinking about from this movie. So Cheryl, I'll start with you. There's so much you walk away thinking about with this movie in general because you just are at a point where you've seen this girl go through this series of emotions and now you see her happy in life and it's so great to see such everything was turned around on her and it's literally so nice to see something happy it's also good to go in and do self-evaluation you know maybe use this movie to do self-evaluation daryl what what do you walk away thinking about from this movie my boys um definitely my boys you know, like I said before, it's sort of the picture of parenting that it is and reminding me that I always want to be better at it. But it's, you know, my, my I talked a lot about my six-year-old. I also have a three-year-old. 
and he's very, very whiny. Like, <laughs> my six-year-old was not a very whiny kid. Mm. My three-year-old's a very whiny kid, and he will, 20 times a day, he'll come into the room crying, looking for a hug. But it's never anything huge. It's always the kind of thing where you give him a hug, you wipe his tears, and he turns around and goes back to what he's doing. Mm. And it's just, I want to know what the heck's going on inside his brain that triggers <laughs> him to, to do that. And I feel like this movie um, helps, you know? It helps me understand him just like it helped me understood my older son. And um, it's so interesting that this all happens in the mind of a 12-year-old mm. in this movie. And in a way, she's sort of learning to be honest with her parents about how she's feeling, you know? Like she says in the movie, she's like, I know you guys don't want me to, but I miss home, you know? Mm. And um, as a parent, there's always that wish that you could communicate more clearly mm. with your child. And my three-year-old is just now getting to the point where if I ask him why he's crying, he will actually try to tell me. Uh -huh, <laughs> nice. You know, he'll be like... <laughs> Like, well, brother hit me, or he's not sharing, or I bumped my toe, or, you know, he's just getting to that point. Mm. But um, being able to communicate with each other is so important, and I think we see that in the movie. So. Mm. Yeah, and I think that's a really cool picture that your son comes to you for soothing, because, um, again, going to what if this movie were made for adults, what would it be like for Riley to turn to addiction? What would it be like for her to just completely like yeah kick sadness out so that yeah. she never felt it when even when it was appropriate or helpful mm. um so that's just kind of a neat image to have your son coming into relationship yeah when when there is a, a hurt so jay what do you what do you walk away thinking about well first of all anytime you can walk out of a movie and be thinking because uh, you know i've heard storytellers say before that like well the art of storytelling is to make you feel an emotion uh, I don't disagree with that. That is a core part of developing, in a, developing an understanding and interpretation of what's going on around us is, a, is our emotional state as we experience it. But also, I think if you just left it to that, you did storytelling a disservice mm -hmm. because you maybe left people ex experiencing something emotionally, but you didn't leave them with something that would cause them to go, but why did I feel that way? And I think why did I feel that way is almost more important than identifying that you did feel a way, <laughs> right? Because if you if your brain is really trying to wrap its head around a specific topic or issue, in this case, I think they're addressing specifically what are your emotions like and how do your emotions shape what you do, who you are, your identity, the identity of people around you and how you interact with them. It's tackling this giant subject. If you left just going like, that made me happy, like it wouldn't really impact a lot more of what of how, how you interact with the world and i think that one of the things that pete doctor is doing here is he's not just saying you're going to care about these characters a lot you're going to you're also going to learn things that a lot of movies won't let you do like I'm, we were making fun of the meg earlier and i'm not going to like rant about like escapism sure escapism in movies is great too but when you can leave a movie and go wow i understand myself better I understand why somebody flipped me off on the freeway earlier today, even though I didn't do anything that, that was that bad. Well, guess what? They're going through a set of emotions in their own head that they just can't deal with right now, and they're lashing out at you for it. So I think that uh, to be able to take 
not only a feel-good movie that causes us to experience a range of emotions as we watch it, but then to take that with us and go, oh, wow, my understanding of the world is now different because of it, um, I think is really powerful. And I, I think that even going back through this conversation makes me think about it even more and, and not only want to see the movie again, <laughs> but become really more uh, artful about the way that we can discuss emotions with each other, which I think is fantastic. Mm. And this is exactly why we do this, right? This is exactly, <laughs> exactly why we why dig we deeper That's into right. these concepts. So if you enjoyed any of this conversation go check out some more of our dig deeper podcast that we have um thank you so much specifically to our the guests. one on the meg <laughs> <laughs> there That's is the a dig one deeper. that we can't dig deeper into a, but we tried <laughs> it exists we did try it's there but quickly hit rock ding ding i yeah. uh, can't <laughs> can't dig deeper here no uh, um Thank you so much, Cheryl, for joining us uh, in a different time zone. Thank you for staying up late to chat with us. Can you just remind people where they can uh, find some of your content? So um, all of our old stuff is still up out there, up over at Disney Film Project. Of course, you have me on Facebook, um, Cheryl Perlmutter, Twitter, at Cheryl P3, Facebook, at Cheryl Pearl. You can also find me on the go in MCO. I contribute sometimes to them. That is it for today's show. Special thanks again to Cheryl Perlmutter for joining us and to Justin for hosting that episode so excellently. This was episode three in our Disney series. And as Justin mentioned in the intro, it comes smack dab in the middle of two nerd fights. Last week, it was best Disney animated character. Next week, it's best Disney live action remake. So be sure to subscribe to your preferred podcast provider so you don't miss us arguing about all those fun things. If you enjoy the Story Geeks podcast, please share our show with a geek friend or review us on Apple Podcasts. We're going to start recording our aftercast now, so I hope you'll stick around for that as well. We're going to be digging even deeper into Inside Out, talk about how we would make it better, talk about some other stuff that Pixar's got coming up. You can get more information on that aftercast and everything else we've done over at thestorygeeks.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories and always seek the truth. Special thanks to these amazing people who help us produce the Story Geeks podcast by supporting us on Patreon. Anthony Holder, Adam Vargas, Bob Sherfield, Brianna, Bryce Cox, Connie Moe, Jim and Mary Baldwin, Joshua Beckham, Jeremy and Kimberly Lejeau, Julian Armstrong, Monty Thigpen, Nathan Miller, Nick Prokop, who, by the way, thank you, Nick, for increasing your contribution. The rest of you can do that stuff, too, if you're interested. Thank you so much to Nick for that. And then we also want to thank Ray DeLeon and Wade Johnson. To gain access to our aftercast and unlock more Patreon rewards or just to support the show, please head over to thestorygeeks.com.